Hey there, it's so good to be with you, to worship with you in this moment. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence Church. And I have something that I want to say to you today, and it's real simple. It's this. Don't lose heart. All right? <laughs> don't give up. Don't, don't lose heart in this time. I know that some of you who are joining us right now, you're watching or you're listening, and you're just barely hanging on in this moment. You just barely got to this moment. So don't lose heart, okay? Don't lose your heart. Don't give up. You see, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. I'm reading to you now from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you, with the church, to himself. And all of this is for your benefit, like all the stuff that we're going through. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. February the 23rd, 2004, was the day my daughter, uh, Mary, my first daughter, was born. February 23rd, 2004. And it's crazy. I can still remember all these distinct things about that day. I remember the strength and beauty of her mother, my wife, Rachel. I remember my grandfather waiting in the waiting room with a suit on. <laughs> I remember my college roommate who showed up at 4 a.m., my best friend, he shows up at 4 a.m. with donuts for me as if I wanted donuts. It was all of our first go at this. Uh, I remember the doctor saying to me, sit down, because she thought I was going to pass out, so maybe I needed a donut. <laughs> I don't know. I remember my mom uh, coming in the room just after Mary was born, and they put Mary underneath this, uh, these heat lamps or, or something to warm her up. And I'm standing there with my mom. Our arms are touching, and we're looking at Mary. I'd never seen a newborn baby, and I sort of whispered to my mom. I was like, is this what she's supposed to look like? And she said, yes. And I was like, oh, that's what I thought. I was just checking, but I'd never seen a newborn baby. It was probably the best day of my life, February 23rd. But what I don't remember is if it was a few hours later or a few days later, I don't remember when I realized that February 23rd was also the worst day of my life. It was sometime later that I remembered that it was actually February the 23rd, an exact year before, 2003, that my young friend Clayton, he was our neighbor, 13-year-old kid, uh, was with us in the yard, and we worked in the yard. He'd go for walks with me and Rachel. He'd watch a movie with us. We were pouring ourselves into him and he into us, and sometimes he was just an annoyance in our life, but it was one year previous on that February 23rd that Clayton committed suicide. Rachel and I were the last ones that he talked to, and I remember this uh, regret just pouring over me, this punishing regret became my companion. I actually remember saying to God, 
out loud on that day, God, if I was ever going to be used by you, I know that I've squandered it now because all I could think of was what I should have done differently and what I should have said, and it just kind of covered me. And, and so here I was now with these two days, the same date, and wondering how could one of them be my worst day and one of them be my best day. Well, I have some years now <laughs> past those two February 23rds, and one thing I've learned is that Mary's life didn't replace Clayton's life. It wasn't as if Mary's birth on that same date a year later somehow now took all the pain away or took all the regret away. It most certainly did not do that, but it did teach me something and has taught me something over the years, and that is this. Nothing with God is wasted. Like nothing that happened in that year from the first 23rd to the second 23rd was wasted. Nothing in it was without God. Actually, what I really want to talk to you about in these moments is an understanding of who God is that I don't know that we pour ourselves into enough, that we, that we don't go deep enough into. And one of the great privileges of my life is to be able to pour myself into the Word and hopefully share with you things that we are learning together about who God actually is. And when we learn about who God actually is in our troubles, in our struggles, in our moments where we think we're not even going to make it, we find out who God really is. You see, you understand the character of, someone who, of who someone really is when you see how they look to the one who is suffering. So would you be interested to know how God is looking at us when we are suffering? How God thinks about or how God treats the tears that fall out of our eyes and drip down our cheeks. Well, there's this crazy thing in the Bible about how God looks at our tears. I don't know what else to do except to read it to you. It was written by a man named David who had some really good days and some really terrible days. It's in Psalm 56, and David says this, God, he says, God, record my misery. You have collected my tears in a bottle. Are they not? In your record, David's saying, God, mark down my misery. Put my struggle in your book, whatever that means. He pictures God with a bottle, uh, noting and noticing and marking and keeping his tears in his grief. We wonder what kind of God bottles up tears, the kind of God who does not intend to waste anything. In Psalm 126, it says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. What kind of God bottles up our tears? The kind who seeds tears like seeds that go into the soil of our lives for another day, a future day, a year away day when there will be a harvest of joy for our light and momentary struggles are achieving for us, they're achieving for us something, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I've read this scripture for years and it makes me want to say, excuse me, excuse me, God, light, momentary, my struggles feel heavy. Do you feel that way? Would you have to say, my struggles feel um, Long, the opposite of momentary. No, no, no. The word of God here is not saying that our struggles uh, feel light to us or that they feel like they're quick. Not at all. 
Instead, what it's saying is compared to our struggles, compared to the eternal glory that is being achieved for us, they are uh, as light as a feather or as quick as a second. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What we see is temporary. What we can't always see all the time is this eternal. What is weighing you down is temporary. I guarantee you that what is weighing you down right now is fleeting. It won't last. It's temporary. And all of it is light in comparison to future glory. So God's giving a picture of our struggles to say that they're temporary and they're light in comparison to future glory. One thing we have to explore and understand is that we live in a way where we are constrained by the bounds of time. We have the boundaries of time on everything we do. This sermon that I'm giving is bound by time, which means it's going to end eventually. But it's more than that. This day when the sun came up gave us a marker of time, and then as the sun will go down later, it shows us that this day is bound by time, and our lives are bound by time. And then for many of us, most of us, that same sun will come up tomorrow. We'll get another day. Our alarm clocks, our alarm clocks will go off. Our appointments will be fixed, and there'll be a another turn on that calendar because we live in time. We are bound by the constraints of time. However, say that with me, however, however, our God is not bound by what we are bound by. Our, our God does not dwell in the same constraints of time as we do. And what this scripture is telling us is that God is actually giving us an invitation to be pulled out of the constraints of time into an eternal mindset, an eternal perspective. And it's there when we get pulled out of those constraints that we actually find the power for our struggles. If we're always in the temporary, if we're always in the scene, then we will see all of our struggles as heavy burdens that will last forever when that is fa- in fact is not true. They are light and momentary in comparison to the glory that is being achieved for us. So God is inviting us into an eternal mindset, a way of thinking that's outside of the constraints of time, a way of seeing an eternal perspective, a way of seeing things that are not all what is before us and and eternal glory, eternal glory. Horatio and Anna Spafford, I'm not sure if you know those names or if you've heard them. They lived uh, in the 1800s, and they're most noted uh, for something that happened on a clear November night in the middle of the night in November of 1873. Anna Spafford was on a ship traveling from America to England with her four daughters, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and baby Tanetta while their husband, her husband, Horatio, their dad, Horatio, was back in Chicago. He had stayed late because he hadn't got all of his work finished up, some paperwork finished up. So he sent the family on to holiday in England, and he stayed back. He was going to go as soon as he was finished. But on that night in November, as they traveled through icy waters, the ship that Anna and her daughters were on collided with another vessel, and their ship sank. Horatio received a telegram from England from Anna with two words. Saved alone. 
their four daughters had perished. And so Horatio got on the next ship out of America to go and join his wife as they grieved their worst day. On the ship, the captain called Horatio up to the deck at one point, and he said to him, Sir, we are now passing through the waters where the ship wrecked. Horatio did not say a word to the captain, but instead went down to his cabin, and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How? I wonder, what did he mean? It is well, everything's okay? Of course not. Instead, what Horatio was doing in that moment was reminding himself and then reminding generations that we live in a time and in time where there are ships that wreck and pandemics and teenage suicides. And the only thing that can keep us moving through that is to understand that our struggles are actually achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That there is an eternal glory for four daughters who have been lost. And so it's in that place that we have to cling to this eternal mindset that God's given us an invitation, permission, and the power to think in a different way than we would if we were just down here. What does that mean? It means we think differently about our struggles. Most of us might look at a a dead-end job and think my job is meaningless. It's not. We would think my cancer is meaningless. It's not. We would think, my broken heart, it's meaningless. It's all meaningless, but it's not. It's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The eternal mindset leads to an eternal perspective that we would seek to see things that are above, not just what is here right in front of us, but to see something that is different. And so when all that we can see before us is a pandemic-plagued world or all that we could see before us is a divided nation, we are the ones who look above and put our minds and our eyes on the glory of God that we're being told our struggles are achieving for us a glory. Now, I've always thought glory was for God and all glory goes to God, and that is absolutely true. But what's being said here is if you stay close to God, And if your mind stays close to God and your eyes stay close to God, then when God's getting glory, that's going to overflow onto us. It's going to overflow onto the church. It's going to overflow onto our lives. God's glory is going to overflow onto our days, even our worst days. The scripture says all this is for your benefit. All this stuff is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people. That's happening right now. God's grace is reaching more and more people will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And so that glory just overflows. You have to understand that I'm speaking to you now with authority because I have tried the earthly mindset, right? And it has left me defeated and depressed 
and even despairing. And so if you want to try that earthly mindset, maybe you have, it will leave you in those places, depressed and defeated and despairing. But I believe that we have a God who bottles up our tears. That God actually bottled up my, uh, the tears of my 22-year-old self on February the 23rd, 2003. That he noted them, that he noticed them, that he, that he marked my suffering and that it has meaning. What's the meaning? The meaning is now it is the evidence of the restoration that God has been working in my life. The meaning is nothing is wasted with God. Mary didn't replace Clayton, but it did teach me that nothing that I go through is without God, God's presence, God's power, and God's um, <laughs> noting of everything that I'm going through. You see, you can't change your past, but you can change the light that's shining on it, by putting your mind on God, by rising above all this crud that you see, focusing your heart on God in a way that God could actually begin to save your days. God could save your days and, and save my days. The best proof I have, for the, have of this for you is a day that's called Good Friday. But Good Friday, when Good Friday happened, would have actually been thought of as the worst Friday, as the worst day. Good Friday starts with Jesus beaten, bleeding, and carrying a cross. Maybe even worse than his physical pain was that he had been mocked and even betrayed by his friends. Jesus went to the cross on a day that we now call Good Friday, and nails were put through his hands, a spear went into his side, his blood was shed, and he breathed his last breath on the cross alone. But guys, nothing is wasted with God. And nothing about that Friday was wasted. And that's why we look back on it and say no drop of blood was spilled that, that was meaningless. Jesus' last breath was full of meaning because it was the breath that saved our lives. And so now on Good Friday, the Friday that happens before Easter, we're quiet, we cry, but we also rejoice because we know that God has bottled up every tear of our Savior to work for us a restoration and a rescue plan that will actually save our lives. And so I want to say to you today, give today to Jesus. Maybe even more than that, give your days to Jesus, which is a way of saying give your life to Jesus. Who would have the courage? Who among us would have the courage right now to give to God our most terrible day, the worst day that you hold in your mind and say, God, I have let the light of regret shine on that and now I want the light of your glory to shine even on my darkest moments. Today is a day I believe that we can give our lives to Jesus, be raised up to an eternal mindset with eternal eyes and even the overflowing of God's glory. And so I wanna offer the invitation to you today to give your life to Jesus. For some of us, it will be the first time that we've done this. We've known that we're being led to this, or maybe we showed up to this totally surprised, but you know, you feel something right now that's saying, today's my day. And if that's you, or if you're like me and you need to do that for the thousandth time, today's our day. So here's a prayer. I'm gonna show you this prayer and read it to you before I invite you to pray it. I think I, I want you to, to see it and know what it is before you're saying it. So uh, let me share these words with you. A simple prayer that says, oh God, you know my heart. You have recorded my every tear. I confess to you my sins 
I receive your forgiveness. No more punishing regret. Save this day for me. You are my Savior. Today, I confess you as Lord. I choose to follow you. Amen. If you want to give your life and give your days to Jesus, I invite you to pray that prayer with me now, out loud, wherever you are. Oh God, you know my heart. You have recorded my every tear. I confess to you my sins. I receive your forgiveness. No more punishing regret. Save this day for me. You are my Savior. Today, I confess you as Lord. I choose to follow you. Amen. Guys, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with the church to himself. And all this is for our benefit so that the grace that's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. If today was your day to say yes to Jesus for the first time, uh, I want to invite you to text say yes to 31996. Or if today was a very important recommitment to you and you know you need to mark this, I invite you to text say yes right now. A pastor will follow up with you and will walk with you on this journey of what it means to follow Jesus. Remember, Jesus can save all of our days. So don't lose heart. See you.